Hello and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time, hosted by Rick Palmer. My guest for this episode is author and UFO researcher Mike Cleland. In his 2015 book, The Messengers, he explored the unusual connections between the alien abduction experience, synchronicities, and encounters with owls. Mike's own experience with such events was the foundation of that research, which has continued with two further books, and is covered extensively at his Hidden Experiences website. He also hosts his own podcast, The Unseen. It was great to talk to him about his work, which is some of the most interesting happening in ufology right now, extending that field of study out into areas rarely explored before. Without any further ado, here is the episode. Enjoy! Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, I'm honoured. Ah, not at all. To begin with, just tell us a little bit about your background and what prompted your interest in the area of ufology that you cover? Well, the area that I cover in ufology is is probably the tiniest little fractal way off in the corner of the of the you know the giant pool of of data and i'm I'm studying owls so uh i and that came about because of personal experiences uh if we turn the clock back about must be what is it now it's 2029 so 2006 which is 14 years ago i went camping for a couple nights with a complete stranger uh and i lived in a town at the time where um, it was a camping culture it was right near yellowstone national national park and the town and all the, the locals you were you know so camping going camping was completely normal to do then people just so i met this young woman and i and i was and I just said, hey, let's go camping for one night. And this is like a first date or something like that. And I, and we went camping and at sunset, and it was while we were talking about, like, I, I found out later, I had to go back and contact her. Like, what were we talking about right at that moment? She was talking about God. She was talking about the most, her most heartfelt definition of what God means to her. And at that moment, these owls started flying above us. There were three owls and they flew around for probably two hours. And as the sun went down, it got totally dark and they were still flying above us. And we would we laid our sleeping bags down under the stars. This is in the Rocky Mountains in just high elevation. So glorious, clear skies. And, and these owls would swoop down above our faces and blot out the sun for just one second. And it was magical. And the next morning, we were like, wow, that was really cool. And a few days later, it was four days later, I said, let's go camping one more time. And and we went out again. And this time it was colder. So as the sun was setting, it was cold and felt a little chilly. The other time it was a beautiful autumn weather. And I said, just to warm up, let's walk up to that hilltop over there. So we walked up to this hilltop and there was, we watched the sun go down. And as the sun set, three owls surrounded us. And and before, four days earlier, you know, they would be off in the distance and they would swoop in kind of low and pass by us and they'd be off in trees in the distance. Not this time. They they landed on the branches right next to us. They swooped down close enough to touch. And, and for a long time, one of them landed like at our feet and stood up at, stood there and looked up at us. And to have it happen once was, you know, really cool. But to have it happen twice scared me and unnerved me. And both times I had this thought in my head as I was looking at those owls, I did not talk about this at the time. And now, I, now I'm talking about it. And it has be, it, it was the, the genesis, it was the foundation of my research, seeing these owls. And I heard a voice in my head and it said, this, uh, these owls, it said, this has something to do with the UFOs. And in my in my youth, and when I was 30, I had some pretty powerful events that certainly implied UFO contact. I had a missing time event with an associated um, 
bright orange light in the sky. I had a, um, I saw a close-up UFO sighting. It felt like it was very close up. And then when I was 30, um, I, which would have been 19, the winter of 1993, January or February of 1993, I woke up in, in the middle of the night and there was a bright light shining in the window. And I sat up on my elbow and my window was right up close to my bed. And I looked outside and there were three skinny gray aliens backlit by this bright light. Excuse me, there were five skinny gray aliens backlit by this bright light. And and they were walking towards the house. And this should have been terrifying. And I had this total calm sensation. And I heard a voice in my head said, now is the time to put your head on the pillow and shut down. And that's exactly what I did. And the next morning, I never even bothered to get up and see if there were footprints in the snow. So that was a, that was a long answer. But I have, I have been, my, since, since those owls and that, that, those, those evenings in the mountains, it felt like my life has changed track. And it is, I've kind of thrown myself into this research. And part of it has been cathartic for myself, and I've, I'm doing it for very selfish reasons, to try to make sense of, of these very strange experiences. Mm. So prior to that experience with those owls, what was your viewpoint on ufology and, and what might be happening with the UFO experience? Oh, I was, so as a little kid, I was 12 years old and saw a close-up UFO. So I was totally on board. Like I completely recognized, oh yeah, this is, this is, you know, like I would uh, read a UFO report. And, and so growing up in the seventies, there were wonderful television shows. There was a television show called In Search Of. So it was out there in the, in the culture. Um, it was a little bit sensationalized, but I, I totally believed in it. Oh yeah. And I, I guess at the time I thought, you know, I would just, I, I considered them nuts and bolts craft coming from another planet. Uh, in recent, you know, since throwing myself into this research, I've I've taken a few steps back from that. I don't want to be so rigidly locked into that because it there's aspects of it that are much more mystical than than what um, what we would think of or what we would assume if it was just scientists on board a metal spaceship coming from another galaxy here to you know, collect data and, and study us. I think something much more subtle and elusive is going on than that simplistic explanation. That took me a while to come to those terms. But um, so growing up, I mean, I, I, I was completely on board, but I never really focused on it. it and, but I will say in the years leading up to that owl sighting, I had been, I had been reading a lot of UFO books in the, in the few years just prior to that. So like I had, like basically I had turned the heat on under the kettle and at some point by reading those books and it felt like seeing those owls all of a sudden the kettle was whistling right okay so what happened next what was the next thing that you did after that experience to try and investigate this connection in more detail i started looking into my own experiences i tried to i started to try to make sense of my own experiences and in doing so i reached out to a lot of people, you know, I contacted, um, UFO researchers and specifically abduction researchers. And a lot of this was done over the phone. Much of it was done in person, but, um, and, and one of the things I asked everyone is, have you ever had any odd experiences with owls? And this was selfish on my part because I wanted an answer to it. And what was happening was I would get people would say, you know, no one's ever asked me that. That's really interesting. No one has ever asked me that. Yeah, I had this weird story with an owl. And what I did is I started like writing those down. I started archiving them and I started a blog. The blog initially wasn't started because of owls or wasn't started to study owls. It was just start, I was having a lot of synchronicities and, and I kind of just started the blog and figured I'd put my synchronicities on there and they're kind of nice little blog posts. They're short and have a nice punchline, but little by little, I started talking about the owl stuff on there. And then I asked people, I openly asked if anyone has any odd owl experiences, I want to hear them. And, and in the years I started writing essays and articles and, and what happened even a decade ago, if you Googled UFOs and owls, I was the first person to come up. And if, 
so if anyone in the world uh, it, w- had an experience with a UFO and an owl, they were going to find me. And and I started, I the, like the collecting these stories turned into sort of a it felt like a mission. It felt like a purpose in a way, and it, and it has been remarkably rewarding. And I have. I'm studying this small, small, small side area of this much grander subject, but it is it has it has allowed me this this insight that that is, as I said before, far more mystical than I ever would have thought uh, given the you know given the 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 if you tried to study the big overview of ufology, you would, you know, I think you'd just be swallowed up. There's too much information out there. You'd be, you'd be, you know, the waters are simply just too deep to, to, but I, I just feel so fortunate that I had this little, this little sub chapter within a giant book to, to dig into, to dive into. Hmm. What is it that you think connects ours to ufology with these experiences rather than something else within Fortiana, like cryptozoology or, something occult uh, connected to folklore, for example? You know, this is, I struggled with this question, exactly this question, the why of it. Like, I don't have a good answer. What I can say, the best answer I have come up with, and the best answer that I, that I, is sort of my go-to answer, is that the owl is an archetype, right? The owls, the owls are imbued just with a deeper, with a deeper meaning. And I think everyone recognizes this and understands this. Like I get a lot of people who just, you know, say, oh, I'm working on owls. And they say, oh my gosh, you know what happened to me? I saw an owl. It was right on a fence nearby. And I sat and looked at it and you can hear in their voice, they are in awe of seeing this bird. And, and you don't hear that about people seeing bunny rabbits or deer. I mean, this is, an owl has a mystique that is much, much different than, than most animals. So we, you know the term archetype is a tough one right because it's any philosophy student would spend up you know spend late nights in the dormitory trying to come up with a a good working definition of what an archetype is but for me an archetype would be like collectively all of us all humanity has a way to tap into these 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 hidden meanings that are that are within certain things for instance you if you go to see a movie uh, if you go to see star wars you know luke skywalker you know on the surface level it's a guy you know fighting with his lightsaber and flying his spaceship around but on a deeper level that we must understand subconsciously i feel we all understand it you are seeing the hero's journey you're seeing the study of a hero and the owl is imbued with that same power and the owl in my opinion, is being, is, is a totem animal for these powerful events. How it works or why it works, I have no idea. But I'm proceeding forward as if I'm analyzing a dream rather than analyzing reality. Because if I had to analyze reality, like how did this owl show up on the fence post? Here, I'll give you a quick example. This is a very normal story. Guy goes out camping. He's in the desert. He's with a friend. They look up. And they see this owl. It's on top of a cactus looking down at them. This is in the desert southwest of Arizona. And both of them are a little unnerved, like it's unsettling. The owl flies off. And moments later, a triangle-shaped craft zooms above them and, and follows the contour of the, of the rocky landscape. And, and I sat with this fellow, and he struggled to try to articulate how strange it was, the motion of this craft. And so... So this, on on the surface level, this is a story I get over and over and over again. Owls showing up right before the sighting of a UFO. It it defies any logic. So all I can do is take a few steps back and analyze these events like a dream. So the connection for me is is this is the same logic I would use to study any paranormal event, not necessarily just UFOs, because I think they blur together. So this is the same way I would study a powerful synchronicity, or I would study someone's 
experience in deep meditation, which owls also show up in, at those points too. Um, and studying death, which is another form of like, you know, powerful, mystical, transformational event. And owls show up around death too. And I've got a lot of stories related to that. Do you find that your research, does it still connect to nuts and bolts ufology? Are there connections to, I mean, you were just talking about that case where that man saw a, a, a craft not long after seeing it now, but sort of the, the classic elements like greys and and the things that happen in, in, in that area of the field? Or do you feel like your research is more in line with the non-extraterrestrial hypothesis, more along the lines of, say, the work of Jack Belay, who draws comparisons with the abduction experience and encounters with the Fae? You know, I, I'm drawn to that. And I, and I kind of, that's my go-to kind of uh, thought process. But at the same time, you know, there's burn marks in the yard, right? People wake up with scratches on them. There's very pragmatic, literal things that are, that are taking place. They show up in pictures, um, you know, multiple sightings, you know, multiple witnesses all see the same thing. So there's, there's a physical side to it and there's a metaphysical side to it. And, and I, and to ignore one in favor of the other would be a mistake. So I try to, I do my best to, to walk that tightrope. Um, it seems like our society is much more rooted in the, the literal and, uh, and we, you know, I guess on the more Fordian side of it are, are, you know, open and content in treating these things as mystical. So um, they are both. That's the problem. They are both. You know, people people have a mystical experience and wake up with a big scratch on their body, for instance, or they, you know, they have a uh, dreamlike experience of 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 uh, of, a, of a contact event. And then the next morning, the neighbor will say, oh, I saw um, there was a UFO hovering above your house last night. So there's both. There's, it's, a, it's a tough thing to try to parse out. And, I, and I've, I've kept myself sane in a way because these are challenging issues. I've kept myself sane by not clinging to one side or the other, just to be, just to be at peace with the mystery. Mm. I think that's a, a good way to be. And also there's the potential that there's multiple explanations for this phenomena rather than just one. Yeah, there's a fellow, his name is uh, Ray Hernandez, and he uh, works in an organization called Free, and I can't, it's a foundation for research into extraterrestrial experiences. And it's uh, the late Dr. Edgar Mitchell was, uh, worked very, you know, helped create this foundation. And, and he's a man who had these very strange UFO experiences and started this foundation. Now he was driving in Miami, Florida in traffic and he had he was making a turn and and the song was on the radio and then for all of a sudden he was like vaulted into this other dimension. He had this visual mystical theatrical presentation and he saw this giant like Ferris wheel, a huge iron Ferris wheel and so there's this axle and it's rotating and there's this big giant wheel around it and each spoke as it passed by he would read on the spoke and it would say UFO contact experience. And then the next spoke would come up and it would say near death experience. And the next spoke would come up and say out of body experience. And the next one would say, um, I'm doing this from memory, uh, shamanic journeying and then ghosts and then deep meditation and then psychedelic psychedelics, like psychedelic drugs. And, and I think I've got this right. And so these all spun around, and then he kind of got dragged in and zoomed in at the axle where they were all connected, the hub, and it said human consciousness. And then, boom, he's right back into traffic, like finishing <laughs> wow. the left turn. The same song is on the radio. He said it felt like I was gone for 20 minutes. And then, boom, I was, I hadn't, I just clicked right back in at the exact second I left out at. So that, that, that one story, that one story gave me such a sense of like, oh, yes, this is, that was reassuring to me that story, because I could say that that gave me a, a framework to um, to ease back and not be so focused on the UFO thing. Synchronicities was another one of those spokes in the wheel. 
Yeah, um, part of the title of your book is about the synchronicities. Do you want to just talk a little bit more about that element to what you're researching and the encounters that people are having? Sure. Well, that's so. The, if if it was just you know uh, if it was just uh, metal spaceships coming here from another planet, then why would people have synchronicities? I, I wrote an essay years ago. It was for some friend's little little uh, blog. And I took it very seriously, and it was called um, uh, Synchronicity and the UFO Abductee, where it was basically, I, I would sort of arguing that these synchronicities take place and and that UFO, uh, people who have had UFO contact uh, are more prone to synchronicities. And I, and I you know, read it aloud and kind of helped, and this woman helped me. She was a close friend of mine in the town I was living in at the time. And she was smart and sassy. And, and, and I read the, I kind of said, you know, I think that people who have UFO contact have much more synchronicities than, than the average public than the, in the, the cross section of the average public. And she gave me this look like you idiot. Like she rolled her eyes and she, she was like, anyone on a spiritual path will have more synchronicities, which I think is true. And what it allowed me to do was to see UFO contact as a spiritual path. Once again, I'm not locked into that, but that is something that emerges. Now, synchronicity, if anyone's listening to this, I hope they know what that means. Carl Jung um, uh, uh, kind of coined the term, and he said a synchronicity was, is a longer kind of wordy term, I'm gonna shrink it down a little bit, a, a coincidence that is meaningful to the observer. So, you know, coincidences happen all the time, but if they have a meaning, have a deeper meaning to them, then they qualify as a synchronicity. Uh, and, the, you know, that's my senses that you ask people who have had these contact experiences, you know, have you had a lot of synchronicities? And they roll their eyes like, oh, you don't, you can't even believe what's going on in my life. And, um, and that's, that's been my, and it made it to the cover of the book on purpose because that was sort of my way in to to this research was, you know, partially the owls and partially the synchronicities. Hmm. I've had synchronicities described as if you notice synchronicities, that means that you're sort of the universe looking back at you as you look at it, a kind of thing. You're, you're in that place at the, at the exact right time. Yeah. You're in the flow. Yeah. That's like, so it's much easier to, you know, to, if you're in a boat going down the river, it's much easier to just sit in the boat and glide down the river, you know, just using the, just using the the current rather than trying to, you know, paddle upstream. Hmm. So yeah, that's my sense too, that you're in the flow. And I actually get worried if I don't get synchronicities. I'm like, uh Oh, something's wrong. Like, like they, when I'm in a good mood and, and things are flowing and I, and I dedicate myself to the work, the synchronicities just sparkle around me. But when I'm, when I'm kind of stuck in a rut or so, uh, it seems they, they, they come to a screeching halt. So I, I recognize that. And, um, and yeah, the, so the synchronicity plays a huge part in the book. Hmm. How do those synchronicities manifest in regards to owl encounters? Oh, I've got this. I should have a few right off the top of my head here in the book. I've got the book right next to me here. And that's the whole thing is about owls and synchronicity. Let me think of one. <laughs> um, uh well, so the so when owls arrival could certainly be seen as a synchronicity, but I see it something as something much uh much more powerful than that. Here, so here's an example. So a guy gets a hold of me and he says, I've got a story to tell you. And he uh, watched, he was, a, he was a nuts and bolts UFO kind of enthusiast. Like he found the subject very interesting. Uh, he's an adult. He's, I must be in his fifties. And I th- his name is John. And he, uh, he was kind of drawn to the subject, but always in the nuts and bolts thing. Now he was looking around on YouTube and watching videos. And he saw one of my talks and the talk was titled Owls, Synchronicity, and the UFO Abductee. And he said, oh, this is ridiculous. This is like such, I'm not into this kind of new agey foo-foo stuff. And so, but it kept on showing up. He said, I'll watch it. And he watched it and he said, he got a lot out of it. He said, wow, that was really interesting. And then he finished watching it and the phone rang and it was a friend of his. It was a woman that he knew and he hadn't talked to in a long time. And he said to her, they hadn't talked to a long time. She called exactly at the moment he finished watching the, the, the talk that I had given on YouTube. And, and, and he said, wow, I just watched this interesting talk on, on UFOs. And 
she said, oh, that's interesting because I saw a UFO. I never told you this. When I was a girl, I saw a UFO and we were, my parents were driving down the road. We turned this corner and there was this giant hovering UFO right in the road. It was blocking our way. We're like, we couldn't drive. It was like on the road. And we both kind of, well, the whole family kind of was shocked. You know, she said an interesting detail. She said it looked like the UFO was like a saucer shaped craft. Like the surface of the saucer was like, you know, when you make soap bubbles, they have that kind of psychedelic shimmery swirly pattern. So it looked like that. And so the next thing she knows, her and her family are at their destination. They were going to a horse show. So all of a sudden they were parked and at the horse show, you know, in front of the stables and the, and the, and, and they didn't have any memory of getting from the event where they saw the craft to getting to the horse show. And then, uh, this fellow, John said, have you had any odd experiences with owls? So, you know, that's funny. You should ask. There used to be an owl that would come by my window and it would hang out and stare in my window. It hasn't happened for years, but it would come and stare in my window. And they talked and talked and talked and they hung up. And after they hung up about five minutes later, she calls back and he heard the phone ring and he saw that it was her on the, on the, on the, uh, on the call, call thing on his phone. And, and he knew what she was going to say. And she said, just after I hung up, I walked past the window and the owl was there. Hasn't been there for years. The owl was right there staring in at me. So, so there's a story. So in the fellow, John, in our conversations, he basically said, like, this was a powerful life-changing moment for me. Like, I changed. Like, I am, I am very aware of this mystical aspect. He used the term spiritual awakening. He said it. He said, I had a spiritual awakening because of that phone call from the woman when she said she she saw the owl his friend so so there's this there's like powerful elements at play here there's a person is changed he's transformed mm-hmm. he he's and and uh and so either yeah, so there's a that was a little bit of a long-winded story to just but that's a good example of the of the crossover between owls synchronicities and ufos it feels like in cases like this Dream logic usurps sort of our causal reality. It feels a lot like a dream experience because in dreams you'll move from moment to moment, and it feels quite mythic as well. Like when you hear a a, a, a story from myth, that it has those same elements to it. It's not always a linear narrative. Uh, yes, yes, that's a, you've summed it up beautifully. You know, so there was a researcher. He was a Harvard psychiatrist, Dr. John Mack, and he used the term reified metaphor. And so reified means to make something real. So like reified metaphor means that reality is acting as a metaphor. And that's something that he was seeing in his research. So here's here's a grounded man of science studying these issues. And he went way out on a limb to work with patients that have that claimed UFO contact while um, chair of the psychiatry department at Harvard Medical School. And and his one of his takeaway points was these experiences played out metaphorically with, with uh, you know, big grand uh, issues like death and rebirth, transformation. Um, yeah, so th- these these would play out within these stories. So it's not uncommon for, I mean, it gets, I mean, I've had many stories where people are talking about God and then an owl will show up. I mean, I have a story of, so two UFO experiencers were coming home from a meeting, um, kind of the um, UFO support group meeting where they'd sit around in a circle. They were both, they're a couple, they're partners, and they both have had UFO contact. They were driving home from a meeting. This is on a busy freeway in Los Angeles. And they, they were talking about God conversation all of a sudden turned to God and then an owl swooped a white owl swooped and flew right in front of their headlights right in front of their their windshield and they looked at the clock and it was 11 11 now these number synchronicities or sequences I pay attention to them I can't give them too much weight but but I thought that was interesting so so here's here's this convergence of these heavy things so um, you know, this transformational process, spiritual awakening, kundalini awakenings, these things are tied into this mystery somehow. So from the reports that you've received, do you feel like these are actual owls or something that's assuming 
the image of an owl. It's using the yeah, it's using the image of an owl in in some way. Well, the, it's both, you know. So the classic the classic story of the screen memory, and I'm not sure how up to speed your listeners are to to these this kind of research, but people who have UFO contact. Um, here's a story that I've heard many times. Here, I'll give a good example. So this fellow, I'm at a UFO su- support group where like you sit in a circle and you talk about your your issues and it's like an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, except everyone's talking about like UFOs and, and their and such. So, but the, so uh, this guy is sitting real quiet in the corner of the room and the meeting's about an hour and a half long. And near the end, he cautiously, timidly raises his hand and says, anyone here had any experiences with owls? And everyone, including me in the room, raises their hand, pretty much everyone. And you could see him kind of like, oh, like he was really new to this. And he could, he almost fell out of his chair. And he tells a story where he was driving down the road at night and there was a great big owl, four foot tall owl on the side of the road. And he pulled up to it and he rolled his window down on the driver's side window and he looked at this owl and the owl, uh, he got a really bad feeling and he rolled the window back up and drove away. And he's a photographer. And later he went to take pictures of an owl. He's an owl's nest in the forest near his home. And he was going to go take pictures. And he saw these real owls. And he's looking through his telephoto lens. And he's like, I don't think that was an owl I saw that night. And he went through hypnotic regression in the hopes of trying to find some answers. And nothing really came up. The only thing that came up was that the owl was wearing boots. So, so what's common is people will drive down the road at night. They'll see a big owl or, or a other animals too, deer and and big raccoons actually show up in a lot too, and squirrels, big squirrels. Um, but they'll they'll see a big owl, and then they'll think it's odd, and then when they get home, they're like, "Why I'm two hours late?" And then through hypnotic regression, which is a slippery slope, I'm very cautious to trust hypnosis completely. But this, I've talked to many hypnotherapists, and they tell the same story over and over again. They ask the people, "So describe this owl." You know, person's under hypnotic trance and the hypnotherapist says, describe the owl. And they say, well, it's skinny and bald and it's got a tight fitting uniform on. It's got these big black eyes and and I don't think it's an owl. So what they're describing is usually a gray alien, the classic gray alien with the big almond shaped eyes and the chalky pale skin. And, but the owl is somehow projected into their mind. The owl is somehow um, has replaced them in the memory of the observer. And so you asked, you know, do I do you, I think these are real owls? I think in many cases, yes, they are real owls. If someone sees a four foot tall owl standing on the side of the road, they're that's quite probably a screen memory. If when the people the people are seeing owls, they say, you know, like, oh, there's an owl outside my. So here's a story. This gets very murky now, right? There's two experiencers. They've both had UFO contact experiences. I've talked to both of them independently. They both told me the same story. They're in their house. They're talking about their experiences. And there's this, they look to the windowsill. And there's just owls, big owls staring in at them. And they describe it perfectly as an owl. It's the size of an owl. It's owl-shaped, right? And and then it, and they found it very odd and very distressing. And, and the owl flies off. And later, they went outside and looked up at the window from the outside. And there's no ledge like the window was flushed <laughs> to the wall of their home. So there was no place for this owl to stand. But it stood there and looked in at them. So you're left with this, there's some murky stuff where you where you're, you're, you can't have a good answer. You don't get a good answer. Um, and oftentimes, I mean, what happens to me, people take pictures of these owls. They say, oh, an owl landed on my back porch. I've got, I've got so many reports. There's one researcher, <laughs> I don't want to name names, but he basically says, nope, nope, nope. The, you're, these people are not seeing owls. These are all screen memories. Every single one is a screen memory. <clears throat> and I said, well, that's not the way their story is. They don't play out like screen memories. And he goes, do they, do they get pictures? I'm like, I get pictures all the time. People send me pictures all the time. Like, here's this owl on my back porch. And I get pictures of like owls, like right standing on their back porch or like they're like in their driveway and they're looking down at these owls. I get these all the time. So I had a good answer. I felt good that I could say, yeah, I, I get, I get a lot of pictures like that. So it's very difficult. It's easy when it's a, when you get a picture and it's a little owl, you know, whatever, 10 inches tall. And it's easy when someone sees a four foot tall owl on the side of the road, but boy, there's this blurry stuff in the middle. That's really hard to make sense of. Mm. With the concept of screen memories, it, 
and the the chap you were just talking about it's a, it's a convenient way to end the conversation about what this is isn't it i mean i'm i'm interested in screen memories but i don't know much about the application of that concept in areas outside of paranormal study is it a psychological concept that is generally agreed upon well within ufo hypnotherapists there certainly are and then outside of that there's certainly folks that that would argue like don't get hypnotized boy you're opening pandora's boxes dangerous stuff you're going to create false memories and and there's and then at the same time hypnotherapists from all over the world are getting the same data right so people are going under and they hypnotherapists keep this data to themselves they don't share a lot of what these people talk about like like you know what the light bulbs or what the door handles look like in the ufos i'm, I'm making that up because i actually don't know i know a few things that they that i'm not going to say but uh um <clears throat> so okay i just lost my train of thought there what was the question i'm just curious about screen memories and if that concept is applied in in other areas of psychology other than in paranormal cases oh yeah yeah absolutely there's all kinds of things where where like you know you know children who've uh, been at the hands of sexual trauma who've had sexual trauma growing up or something will often have screen memories that that are clouding the the traumatic events you know uh, uh so they'll remember something totally different than what happened um and so yes there's and then uh the term screen memory was coined by um freud so yeah so it's well known in the in the sciences of psychology and psychiatry um it, it usually, and I'm just, that's the only example I can think of right now. I'm certain there's others where, you know, they're being hidden by trauma. Something else will show up. Well, one thing that intrigues me is that the idea of something assuming a form of a, of a four foot tall owl to conceal something, which is also unusual. It's like, <laughs> it's not, oh, sometimes I feel like they're trying to form something that's relatable, but not quite getting it right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. There's so, yeah, there's all kinds of, um, of, you know, so here's what I did for my research. I, I made an owl. I was an, I'm an illustrator, so I'm pretty good with, you know, illustrations and pens and stuff. So I made, I got a big piece of cardboard and I made an owl. I cut out an owl and I made it four and a half or four foot tall, exactly four foot tall. I measured it. Sometimes the people say three and a half, sometimes they'll say four and a half, but at most four foot tall is what people are saying. So I made it four foot tall. And I made a little stand for it. So it'd stand up and I wanted to take a picture of it on a lonely road. And what people say is you could pull right up to the owl and it could look over the hood of your car. Well, there's no owl in the world. You take the biggest owl in the smallest car in the world and it can't look over the, the hood. And so I, I took out on this lonely road near where I was living and, and I put it out on the road and I kind of was backing up and kind of getting to the right spot. And I had my camera and I was, it was so creepy. It was so creepy. And this is a piece of cardboard and I had the chills. Now there is no way someone could see a four foot tall owl logically and say, oh, I, I saw a four foot tall owl. But that's what people say. They dismiss it like they saw, you know, a little bunny rabbit. They just like, well, it's a little odd. And so my sense is there's some form of the some form of mind control that's taking place that would co-opt the people to just dismiss this as nothing all that unusual. When when all said and done, it's it's beyond uh, strange. But you know, other they, people report um, firemen um, and Jesus actually gets reported a fair amount too. Like you know, I saw Jesus in my room. <laughs> And so there's, you know, I mean, that's another archetypal image right there too. So, uh, and clowns, clowns show up a lot. And, um, uh, yeah. So sometimes people will like a whole scene, maybe a screen memory. Like it's very common for people to drive down the road and like, oh, there's a fire truck with all these people standing around the fire truck. And then, and the fire truck, you know, it's got a big red light on it. And there's these firemen standing around the truck and, and then they like drive home and they're, they get home late. Now the the screen memory would be it's a flying saucer that's landed with little beings outside the flying saucer. That's also very fairly common. So that's a little more elaborate, uh, you know, stage managed. The, the, the production value on that one is up a little higher than just a guy in an owl costume. Right. And do the owls usually look just like owls apart from being bigger? Because I, and I know that there are cases of people seeing, perhaps not related specifically to your area of research, but owl men and of course there was there oh was yeah, Mo- yeah there was mothman in um and of of um, um mon one there's a village down in corn uh, 
in yeah in Cornwall yeah Cornwall? the corn the, the Cornish yeah, Owlman <laughs> Cornish yeah yeah so I studied that now there's a wonderful uh, report from now the Owlman was very similar to the Mothman in a way and, and the witnesses described the same thing a man-like creature they called it an Owlman so it had a sort of owly face but it had like man-like proportions and pants it wore pants with with funny little pincers instead of feet but it would in so an owl if you saw an owl in a church this is where the the these sightings were located around this the church in the village um the owl man would just put its arms out and hold them steady and then just float up so if it's an owl it would flap its wings you're seeing something totally different in in that respect um and that church had been the site of a handful of UFO sightings, that area around the church, let's say. And recently, uh, researcher Nick Redfern had a report of a uh, woman, I think this was in the late 90s. She was driving home between two villages and she had just left Monan, I think is the name of the village, uh, outside in, in Corn, uh, Cornwall. And so she's driving from that village back to her home, which is the next village over. And it's dark at night and in that part of England and and she sees an orange hovering orb of light in the road and the next thing she knows she's she's kind of waking up at the steering wheel and and her car is parked just a little bit off the road and two hours have passed and she looks out in front of her on the road and there is the the owl man that was reported like 20 years earlier in the mid seventies. And it does the same thing. It puts its arms out. It has these kind of wings sort of, and, and instead of flapping its wings, it just floats straight up. So, so here's a story with a UFO, an orb, a floating orb is unidentified flying object. That's valid. Uh, it's certainly not a structured craft. And then she has missing time, which is textbook UFO contact type event. And then she sees the Owl Man, which is much more of a Fordian paranormal type event. Mm. With, with missing time, I mean, do you think that, because I get the impression that for the most part, missing time is seen as a the person being somewhere else while normal time progresses. But do you think that it might be that something is happening to them and time is different? So that's the question. Time is different. You know, there's reports of people you know, like they'll have a UFO type event. They'll have memories of being taken from the bed and they'll come back and they'll come back with like three days beard growth. Hmm. You know, these kinds of things. Um, uh, you know, I talked to one woman. This is kind of an odd thing to say. She said, I'm very, she said, I, I'm very vain about this, but I have this mole and I, I'm very aware. I pluck the hair out of this mole. It's on my face. It's this little mole that has this little black hair that grows out of it. And I always pluck this out. So she, she walked into one room of the house and and she was there for a little bit and she came back she went into the kitchen she walked into the room again and all the furniture was changed around she was like what just happened this is a woman who said you she's actually one of the women that saw the owl on the ledge same woman and so she's like what happened why how did this happen and then and then she went into the bathroom and the hair on her mole had grown really long and she said there's no way i would have missed that so so here we have a woman with a seeming missing time event sort of i guess because something happened that it allowed time for the hair to grow so the, and then the like what a strange kind of poltergeist type thing to have the 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 furniture in the living room switched around so um yeah there's a missing time event there that just doesn't show any logic at all there's another story of a, a boy he uh sneaks He's like with a bunch of campers, like it's a Boy Scout type thing. And he sneaks around into the woods and he smokes a cigarette. He's like going to be a rebel and he smokes his cigarette and, and he's sort of too young to smoke. So he has to hide to do it. And this flying saucer lands and he has the whole classic thing where he's taken on board the flying saucer and has all the exams and this, and the flying saucer flies away and he comes back. He felt like he was gone for three hours. All of a sudden he's standing there again and he's holding the cigarette in his hand as the flying saucer flies away. And it, the cigarette hasn't burned down. He's basically just lit it. Right. So there's these very strange distorted time events that are woven into the UFO mystery. I mean, do the UFO occupants have like a, can they control time the way we can control volume on a radio and just turn it up and down to meet their needs? Or I guess maybe like the way we can control, um, you know, you know, backwards forwards on our, on an MP3 player or something like that. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. I kind of wonder if these beings, whatever they are, their perception of time is different for them, or time might not even exist the way we perceive it. I mean, everything that we do, time is such a fundamental part of it, isn't it? It's how we measure almost everything. And if you were a being that didn't have to do that or didn't just had a different concept of it and you're trying to, to make contact with something, I can understand why you, it might seem strange. <laughs> and that's that's um, that's straight out of, uh, you know, the near-death experience. People who have the near-death mm. experience say like, I I entered this realm. It was, I, it was more real than this physical reality. Where I was when I died was more real than this. And it was, it was timeless. You know, people will, will be dead for four minutes and then they'll come back and they'll tell hours or weeks or months or they'll say they lived their whole life again. A 50-year-old guy, you know, dies in the operating table, comes back to life after three minutes, and he lived his entire 50 years from beginning to end in those four minutes. That's... That's so. There's this timeless realm that's reported in all kinds of paranormal events, you know, not just UFOs, and but you know, near-death experiences. One where where it's consistently reported. Hmm. Is there anything about owls themselves, just the their nature, their biology, that lends themselves to being this image that is taken and and used? Well, there's so there's two things going on, right? So you're saying the image that's being taken and used by the UFO occupants, like I. I'm going to go straight to the archetype of the owl. Now, the mm. owl can see into the darkness, right? The owl can fly through the woods in total darkness and not hit a tree branch. Like that ancient man must have recognized that. And and we live in an era with an electric light bulbs and, 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 that, and night must have meant something entirely different to our ancestors. You know, night is, you know, the, you know, the time of demons and the time of, you know, this terrifying and so in day is you know has its own totem which would be the eagle you know so that's so zeus male has the eagle and then and then uh, athena female has an owl so night has a completely different mythology associated with so the owl in almost all the world's mythologies is kind of a this is a consistent thread the owl can fly into the night and and to our ancient ancestors, that must have been magic. Like we understand it now. They have different receptors, uh, cones and rods in their eyes that 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 allow for more light. They have great big eyes in the, you know, like there's like owls have unusually large eyes for the size of their body. Like if, if our eyes, basically our eyes would be as big as our brain if, if we had the same, you know, each we'd have two brain size eyeballs on our head if we had the same proportions as an owl. Um, so... Yes, they're physiologically adapted to flying at night, but the mythology became that they could fly. Night is a metaphor. They would fly to the land of the dead. They would fly to the land of the ancestors. They would fly to the land of the gods. They would come back with a message. That's the title of my book, The Messengers. When I was getting these letters, people would say, oh, I saw this owl and I had this experience. And then halfway through the letter, they would stop calling it an owl and calling it a messenger. They would say, oh, the messenger then you know, gave me this download this telepathic downloader or like right at that moment i understood some deeper truth often about death so they would just refer to the owl as a messenger now turn the clock forward to the modern times um uh harry potter has an owl a pet owl that delivers the mail it's perfect it's just perfect it's a messenger right that's our, this is the single most popular book in the history of publishing or series of books uh, has an owl that delivers the mail. It could not be more plain. It could not be more straightforward. Now, the synchronicity side of it, J.K. Rowling, if you look at her name, has owl embedded right in her name. O-W-L is right in the center of her name. Uh, people give me a hard time for that one. I bring this up every once in a while, and I'm like, listen, I'm not I'm not trying to start a new religion or anything like that, but I do <laughs> feel like I should point those kind of funny little quirky synchronicities out because I think there's a playful aspect to this. So, uh, you know, why is, why is the owl being co-opted? It's because it is already imbued with this archetypal power. It's showing up because it's the correct animal to show up. It's the correct archetype to show up for, for these powerful events. Now, like as far as a totem, like an owl is not a light and fluffy totem, like, um, dragonflies and and hummingbirds those are light totems like if you went to the shaman at the edge of your village and you know turn the clock back you know 500 years and and you had a spiritual question to ask 
the 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 elder, let's say, or the shaman in your village, and you had an experience with a with a uh, hummingbird, you know, that's a very light, buoyant totem. Like, oh, that's good news. That's something. That's a that's a happy that's a happy happy totem. If you get you see an owl, the totem says, "Oh, this is serious." This usually, I'm I'm generalizing greatly because traditions are different, but they would. The, the the lore is that the owl brings with it a heavy message, not a bad message, but a challenge. Right, yeah. I mean, from the experiences that people have shared with you, after they've had this experience, is it positive for them? Is it something that afterwards they feel has changed their life in a in a positive way or or, or a negative way? Well, it's certainly weighted in the positive in my in my research. And now, to granted, I'm I'm looking at the UFO world through the tiniest myopic little lens possible. Like I'm, you know, like I'm looking through a little, you know, like the the wrong end of the telescope in a way, trying to make sense of this. You know, I'm completely subjective. Like all I'm doing is collecting owl stories and just owls, owls, owls. So that's the what you're asking is with the owl connection. It's overall positive. There's owls. In the lore, the mythology, like if you go to the Southwest, the Pueblo Indians in, in the desert Southwest of North America, um, the lore on the owl is dark. Like you don't want to mess with the owls. Like you don't, you don't, you don't, um, like there's no, nobody has owl feathers. Nobody has owl trinkets. There's no owl knickknacks around the house. And if you're living in, you know, you know, on a reservation in, in Utah, um, that's got a dark lore and it usually implies death. Um, and in Mexico, the owl is the symbol of the of brujas, which is the witches, like the bad shamans. They're evil. So owl in some lore is evil. I'm not finding that. I'm finding a... Uh, so here's a story. Woman, um, she's had UFO contact experiences, lots of them. She's She had fear associated with it, lots of fear associated with it. She has a dog, big dog, and she wanted to go for a walk with the dog, but it was pouring down rain and she got she got inspired to take the dog for a walk, which is something she would never do. And she lived <clears throat> near the ocean and there was a long jetty, a long rock jetty that was paved on the, on the center part. So she could walk on this jetty it was way out into a, into a bay in saltwater bay and then turn around and come back. And that was her walk. So pouring down rain, her and her dog go all the way out there and they're starting to walk down the jetty and she gets about halfway and she's like, what am I doing? It's pouring down rain. Why am I walking my dog today? And she turns around and as she turns around, there's this giant owl like a three foot tall owl on the jetty, like had landed obviously since she walked past. And she said her and the dog walked up to it. She said her dog is very high strung and her dog would never just act this way. But the dog acted like it was in the presence of royalty. That's what she said. She said it was like, so the dog walked up and sat very stoically in front of this owl. And they sat there and stared at each other for like 10 minutes and the owl flew off. Consequently, she said, She's been looking up. She cannot figure out what kind of owl this was. And I quizzed her on, do you think it was a real owl? She said, oh, yes, it was a real owl. She said, like, you, but you can't find it in a book on owls? There's not that many owls in North America that it could be. There's only like two that could be that big. And she's like, I couldn't figure it out. But So she, she said it was skinnier than a normal owl. It was very strange. So, But she said she sat for 10 minutes and stared at this owl. Later, she's diagnosed with cancer. And she went through a terrible ordeal with the treatments. She said she was taken to the edge of death several times. The treatments were so brutal. Now she's moved on. She's been healthy and, and cancer-free for like, must be 20 years now since this happened. So she says, the, the, I said, did the owl like, did the owl give you the cancer? Did the owl heal you of the cancer? And she said, no, no. The owl was there to warn me that a chapter of my life was about to begin a challenging chapter so surviving cancer treatment and being cancer free isn't a bad story it's a terribly challenging event and so i've come to see the owl as like a totem for a challenging event and i'll actually say she's no longer afraid of anything she said after i beat cancer i am afraid of nothing so she was fearful of the ufo stuff ahead of time saw the owl diagnosed with cancer, had a terrible time with the treatment, and is now healthy and happy and fearless. So that would be that's a perfect owl story. Hmm. 
There's no UFOs in that story. No, that's that's amazing. It feels like that I was sort of a, a psychopomp, some sort of being to convey a, a message of some sort. The messenger, yeah, it's conveying a message. I get it all. So the woman, there's a woman. Her name is um, Rebecca Hardcastle Wright. She's an outspoken advocate of for UFO study. She's a smart woman. She's totally together. She is a great spokesman for this. She was walking. She's had the UFO contact experiences very early on when she was at a time of high activity. This is going back years now. She's walking through a full daylight. Owls generally aren't around in the day. She's walking through a parking lot and a strip mall in America, just as ugly and bland as it can be. And she looks up at one of those tall industrial lights and there's an owl on top of the light. And she immediately receives this message. And she hears a voice in her head coming from the owl, and it says, you are not who you seem to be. Wow. That's that's a little bit of poetry almost there. That's like a Zen Cohen. But it's, so these are the stories that show up that I'm, that I'm collecting, these more mystical stories like this. They seem to be the ones that, in a way, make the most sense. I mean, I'm really interested in the, in the connection to UFO phenomenon too, but but these ones seem to, and they almost have a bit more weight to them. Oh, the owls and death stories are amazing that I've collected. Yeah, I mean it's that that actually has been a sort of a um, a baseline for me. It keeps me grounded a little bit. The owls and death stories because so here I'll just um, I've got a bunch of them. Let me think of one. Okay, so this woman contacts me. She's a reporter in this town in America. And pretty big town, and, and a civic leader had died. He was head. He was a he was an outspoken leader for the gay community in his in his town. So he passed on. He died, and they had a they had a wake at the town park. And at the town park, this white owl, a barn owl, flies and lands on top of a lamppost in the middle of the park, in the center of this park. And she got pictures of it and she sent me the pictures and she said, I can't write about this in the newspaper. But what happened was everyone lined up to talk to this owl. The owl was sitting on the, on the I'm getting the chills as I say this, this sitting on the top of this lamppost and people would walk up and they'd say, you know, I can't remember the fellow's name, John, John, I'm so glad I got to know you in your life. It's just was a great honor to know you. It's make It breaks my heart that you died and I'm just happy to know you're safe. And the guy would step away and the next person would come up and talk to the owl. There was a formalized like process of talk. Everyone talked to this owl, and every no one had to explain it to anyone else. Everyone knew organically to talk to the owl, like 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 it just happened without without any instruction manual. Let's say I guess the instruction manuals in in embedded in our in our hardware and our software some somewhere in our brains, but but everyone knew to talk to this owl as if it was their their dead friend. And, and I've got that. I've got examples of that story. That's a particular dramatic one where they lined up, but I've got a lot of stories like that. Mm. No, that's wonderful. Yeah, very life-affirming. Mm. You host your own podcast on Whitley Strieber's website. And I'm just wondering, have you talked to him much about your work and what oh, has yeah. he had to say about his own experience? Well, he, so his is the, so, you know, one of the things I've been trying to archive is where in popular culture did the first a reference to owl show up. And it came in uh, Owls and UFOs. It came in his book, Communion, on page 21. I referenced this story so many times. Page 21 of Communion, the night of his initial UFO contact event, what we would now collectively call abduction. He shies away that ter- from that term. I try not to use it too much, but I use it sometimes. He was woke up that next morning after the strange UFO event he told his wife, Anne, he said, I saw an owl, a barn owl last night it was in the windowsill. And, and he went to the windowsill. It's wintertime. It was uh, the night of Christmas Day. So it would have happened the 26th, sometime in the morning of the 26th of December. So another highly charged, symbolic, archetypal event, Christmas. And so the, the, he wakes up and he looks out the window and the owl should have been on the windowsill to look in like that. But there would have been fresh snow that had been a couple days old. And there were no footprints in the snow anywhere where the owl... If there, if there had been an owl on that windowsill, there would have been footprints in the snow. There was nothing. And he said that that the lack of footprints terrified him because he knew something else happened. So he 
Whitley Strieber has articulated and written about the owl thing much more beautifully than I have. Um, if you collected all his owl writings up, it would probably fill three written pages. I've got three books on it. So, but he's, his three written pages are much more poetic than my, my big fat books. So, uh, um, and <clears throat> here, I might even read something if I can do this. Uh, sure. well, I don't think I can right away. Um, it'll take me a second to find it. Uh, but in the book Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut. I can see that on my bookshelf. Just, just name me now. Oh, you can. So, so here's an example of the perfect collisions of owls and UFOs blurring together. Now, Whitley Strieber's book came out. Uh, he had the event in uh, December of 1985. The book came out a little over a, uh, a year later in 1987. So if you turn the clock back... Um, to 1969, uh, Kurt Vonnegut published Slaughterhouse-Five, which is an amazing book. I read it when I was a teenager. And I'm going to read this segment from page 95. Now, Kurt, the, the main character, Billy Pilgrim, is, once again, this is exactly the thing. He's lost in time. He's having these time slips. He's jumping around in time. So here's from page 95 of Slaughterhouse-Five. This is about Billy Pilgrim. Overhead, he heard what he thought might have been a melodious owl. But it wasn't a melodious owl. It was a flying saucer from Trafalmador, navigating in both time and space, therefore seeming to Billy Pilgrim to have come from nowhere all at once. Somewhere he heard a big dog bark. The saucer was 100 feet in diameter with, por with portholes around its rim. The light from the portholes was pulsating purple. The only noise it made was the owl's song. Now that, that is, that's right there. It's like the collision of owls and UFOs. And it's, it takes place in a book that was written, what, getting close to 60 years ago now. And uh, so that book is fiction. Whitley's book, if you take him at his word, is nonfiction. But they, I don't, I don't care at all. I don't make any distinction between the two. The, it's the archetypal power that I'm looking for in these stories. Mm. So here's a here's a person who wrote a fiction account, and and another thing that's, I would I would argue this now. You don't even have to argue this. This Whitley Strieber's Communion and Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse Five are are both icons of 20th century books. They are they are in in the top 100 of the century. Mm. And I don't think I'm, I think that's fair to say as far as books that have had a profound impact on the culture. Mm. I mean, that piece from Slaughterhouse-Five, that's, um, that's come to Kurt Vonnegut from the imagination. And so did a lot of things. Yeah. And the imagination informs reality, I think. Yeah. And I think people, I think that there's these ideas and these themes and these, 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 these concepts that are yearning to be expressed. The, 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 uh, um, the artist, the writer, the creative type, you know, goes into a sort of trance. I mean, I, you know, I know what it means to draw and get lost in the drawing. I know what it means to write and get lost in the writing. It's a trance. You go into a, you go into an altered state of reality in the creative process. And, and sometimes these gems get plucked out of the ether. Yeah, I agree. I, th I think you put it perfectly when you said that things yearn to be created. Ideas want to manifest, don't they? in the physical world. They want to be made real in a way. That's the metaphor. That's the reified metaphor. Reality as a metaphor. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just, so I'm, I'm so much more drawn to this mystical aspect of it. And, and it's in what's happening. I'm obviously putting the energy out there. I'm, I'm, it's not happening. Like I'm, I'm asking for this. And but I'm getting the most magical stories arriving on my at my in my email inbox. That's people, you know, people question say, "How do you know this stuff is real?" And I'm like, "Look at my email inbox. Yeah, that, that's how I know it's real." Um, nobody could be making up all of these stories. Hmm. Well, Mike, this has been a really wonderful chat. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been my honor. This has been a delight. If people want to find out more about you and your work, how best do they do that? 
Well, one way to do it is to Google UFOs and owls, and I'm the first thing to come up, and then I'm about the next 15 things that come up under that. Um, mm -hmm. The other way is to go to my blog, which is kind of the main site for myself, and the, the blog is called hiddenexperience.blogspot.com. So hidden experience, all one word, and, um, and I'm going to do a little pitch here. I've got three books out, and if you stack these three books one on top of another, it turns out to about 1,000 pages. So I've written a thousand pages on UFOs and owls, and nobody has to write another word, including me, ever again on the, on the subject. <laughs> as if I, so, uh, but um, and if folks are going to start anywhere, the 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 first book has really been well received. That was kind of my that's the biggest one, and the and the one with the most stories in it. Wonderful. Well, I'll make sure to put all that information in the show notes. Thanks. This has been just great. Uh, you're very welcome. Thanks, Mike. You're very welcome. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Mike about his research. If so, definitely check out his books and visit his website, especially if you've had your own unusual encounter with an owl. Whilst his area of study is quite niche, as he acknowledges, I think that the subject matter he is researching offers a fascinating insight into the deeper nature of ufology, as it provides a comparison with elements of folklore, psychology, and concepts more often framed within the context of religion or philosophy, particularly ideas around death in this instance, as highlighted in the interview. The experiences people have shared with him are deeply personal. That too, I think, is an important aspect of not just the happenings reported to Mike, but to the entire spectrum of paranormal phenomena. That's all for now. As ever, if you'd like to get in touch with me at SphereHQ, please email someothersphere at gmail.com. You can find Some Other Sphere on Twitter at spherical underscore pod and on most of the well-known podcast platforms where you can follow and subscribe. Positive ratings and reviews also really help to promote the podcast and are very much appreciated. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and thank you very much for listening.